Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best books directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with J.J. White, the award-winning author of Deviant Acts, which was released last month. J.J., welcome. Thank you, Stephen. As a crime writer, I'd like to thank you for all the other crime writers for providing a platform to promote our books. Thank well, thank you. thank you so much for, for saying that. I, I always appreciate hearing that, and uh, sadly, I don't hear it enough. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled to talk with you. You have, uh, this book has probably the most unique PI character that I've read in years. So let's start talking about Jackson Hurst. Let's, let's start the interview off with Jackson uh, and, and give listeners a little sense of who he is and, and maybe why, he's, why you wrote him the way, the way that you did. Well, it takes, I have to say it takes place in 1973, or it begins in 1973, which would help a lot in the description. Mm-hmm. I think if I had to describe him, He'd be he'd look like Greg Allman with his long blonde hair down past his shoulders and blonde mustache and very thin, good looking. But uh, so he looks like Greg Allman. He smokes uh, bad weed like uh, you know Willie Nelson, and he seems to have more crimes committed than uh, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> but. Uh, He's basically, I, I chose him for one reason, is my brother went to Vietnam, and a lot of the stories in there are from him and from other Marines that have gone over to Vietnam, and I, I embellished them some. Mm-hmm. But this this particular character, uh, Jackson Hurst, it, it, he's, he's got PTSD, but he just doesn't understand it, you know, because they didn't have post-traumatic stress disorder back then. But, right. Jackson Hurst is a—he's he's probably the poster child of losers. He can't stay out of prison. He's addicted to heroin. He lost his girlfriend because of that. He lost his job because of that. He lives with his mother, and he's 24 years old now. That doesn't sound too bad nowadays. There's a lot of 24-year-olds <laughs> living with their parents. Thank God my kids aren't. And uh, but back then, if you lived with your parents at age 24, you were a loser. You know, I I have to say, I I was a junior in high school in 1973, and I moved out like two weeks after my senior year. So, yeah, back in the day, I mean, if you were if you were still at home after age 19, you were you were bordering bordering on being a loser. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so he's uh, like I said, he's the poster child of losers. And he's he's really you know, he, he actually robs from his neighbors and steals, and he's been in and out of prison. So he's really only got two choices, and one choice is to either die, and the other choice is either to go to prison. So he needs an event to happen in order to, you know, save him. And that event happens, uh, which I'll go into later. But basically, the character. Uh, is quite unusual for a private investigator, and he kind of stumbles his way through the, at least the first book. I've written this in two books, and he stumbles his way through. He just—he's one of those guys that grows on you. He's a little repulsive in the beginning, but as, as the story goes on, he really begins to grow on you. And uh, I, by the end of the book, I'm like, oh, I hope this isn't the end for Jackson. <laughs> Well, that's the, that's the thing that authors have to do, especially crime authors, and I'm sure if there's some listening that they understand that. You have to take your character. You have to have an event that changes their life, 
And then you have to have escalating trouble and, and be a sadist. You have to do everything <laughs> you can to keep that uh, protagonist from reaching their goal. I mean, that's the fun part about writing. You get to just tear the heck out of your protagonist. And it, it, it's in order to, to find out if they have the wherewithal or the metal to, to overcome these uh, trouble. And if they can, you know, that's what the reader's looking for with a happy resolved and ending and you really can't put a bad ending on them until you get to be more popular as a writer. <laughs> that's, that's a, an excellent point. Well, let's get into the book. Now the storyline for deviant acts, it's again, it, it takes place. Not, it, it begins in 1973 spans a few years, but it's just back during a, a time of life that I'm so fond of. So it was, a, it was a great pleasure to me to read the story. It's a great story. I really like Jackson and I love a story set in that time. So give us a little sense of the storyline, if you would. It, it's funny you say that because everyone I talk to about 1973 says, boy, that was a dirty time. <laughs> Every, everything seemed dirty back then and, and run down. Uh, well, it's crime fiction in the true sense of crime fiction. The crime revolves around in both both uh, sections, both books in the big book, uh, on a kidnapping. And the kidnapping of his cousin, who is Cheryl, and she's, she's an adopted uh, child. But... Uh, like I was saying before, Jackson has to have an event happen in his life that mm-hmm. changes his life. And that event comes from his wicked Aunt Camille. His wicked Aunt Camille is, a, is a, the B word, which I can't say, but she lives up in Vermont. She's a millionaire, and she has her daughter kidnapped, 20-year-old Cheryl. She's going to the University of Vermont. Her daughter is University of Vermont, and she was kidnapped. And they mailed her her ear, you know, just like J. Paul, J. Paul Getty's son. They mailed her her ear and said, if you don't deliver $100,000 to the Brookfield Floating Bridge at such and such time, we will mail her the other ear. And if you don't, uh, if you contact the authorities, then we're going to kill her. So she's, uh, she's in a bad position, Aunt Camille. So she calls on Jackson, who is her loser, useless nephew, and tells him to come up and she'll make him into a private investigator because you don't need a license up there in Vermont. And she wants him to come and get her daughter back, and she and she cannot contact the authorities because her daughter wasn't really adopted. She found her in a floating tub in the water in 1954 and has been passing her off as adopted. So she can't get the authorities involved. Plus, she wants Jackson to kill the kidnappers because they cut off her daughter's ear. So Jackson, he goes up because he needs the money, and he'll do anything for that money and for the heroin. And so he goes up. But, he, you know, he has some redeeming qualities, and he, he also has some morality. He just hides it very well. It, it, is, it is well hidden. And the first redeeming quality that I, that I really sensed was that he wanted to get his cousin back just because he liked her. And he was going to get paid, and he, he wanted the money, he needed the money, he needed something, but he wanted to get her back because he liked her. And even while he was bickering with crazy Aunt Camille, um, his, his goal was just primarily to get her back. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, and he does like her, and, and as the book goes along, he really likes her. So uh, when he finds out, you know, the truth, mm-hmm. and I don't want to... Uh, 
I have a lot of turns and twists in the book, so I don't want to give those off or anything like that. But he comes up with, with every intent of uh, not knowing that she's kidnapped, with every intent of getting the money and getting the heck out of there. But uh, events happen one after other. He agrees for the money to do it, but it becomes more and more difficult as he tries to work his way through the strange world of private investigation to figure out uh, how he's going to get his cousin back and, and, and get the money from his Aunt Camille. You have some interesting characters in the book. Jackson is an interesting character. Aunt Camille is, is, is a really, she's a really good bad guy type character. Uh, Cheryl is a great character. And there are just a lot of colorful characters from the loserish type like Jackson uh, to the thuggish type. Some law enforcement people in there. A lot of good characters sort of come together in, uh, to form this ensemble and tell the story. Well, that's one of the reasons why I try to. Uh, I, I've got an, a previous book called Prodigious Savant, and it took place in Vermont, a good deal of it. And I, I, I try to use that location not only because I was born there, but because the, the people up in Vermont are very odd and eccentric and do things differently. And, and it's easy to find. You can just go up there and write any character down and put it into the book. And I also try, I'm a historical fiction buff. I've got another book coming out next year in June about called Nisei, which is a historical fiction about the Japanese-Americans during the war. Mm -hmm. So I like to take that historical fiction and I like to take the geography and put it into a book so people will read it and they're looking through there and they say, well, where is this floating bridge or where is these communes? in the late 60s, or was there really a Brinks truck robbery in such and such time by the Black Liberation Army, or was there really an exploding townhouse that the weathermen were making bombs? And as they look that up on uh, Wikipedia or Google or something like that, they'll find out, yeah, that's actually true. They, this really did happen, and I embellish it the best I can and try to in, put it, in, infuse it into the book to get the curiosity of the reader. And that's one of the things that made it fun for a reader like me who is of a certain age uh, because I lived through a lot of those things and there were a lot of uh, little homages to things that I clearly remember from back then. So uh, that, that was kind of fun. And I, I looked on your website, which is very funny, uh, by the way. I would encourage people to go there. Your blog is, is well-written and funny. It's jjwhitebooks.com. There's a list of your books, and in, just in looking at them, it seems like they're all historical fiction. Is that is that your thing? The books? Yes. Uh, well, no, not really. I, I, I can't make my mind up. Uh, I'm a Gemini, and I keep uh, jumping around. But I started with a thriller, and then I go to crime fiction, and mm -hmm. then I'm... Then I go to historical fiction, and the next manuscript I've sent out kind of a mixture of historical fiction and crime fiction. I like to write about the past mm -hmm. because uh, I don't know about other authors, but if you have crimes in the contemporary novels, the cell phones mess you up and, you know, you can trace a call in, in two minutes instead of uh, three days like they did in the old days. So you can get away with a lot of stuff in the past that you can't with the uh, present. That's true. And uh, there's so much technology now in in, in crime novels that it, it, it can sort of almost get in the way of the story. You mentioned that you lived in Vermont. You're about a, as far away, still on the East Coast, uh, from Vermont as you could be. You're living in Florida now. And somehow or other, 
between living in Vermont and living in Florida, you have become a surfer. What's, how, how did that happen? Well, I was brought here kicking and screaming from Vermont when I was nine years old. Yeah, all my friends were out there, so that was years ago. Uh-huh. And if you live on the east coast of Florida and you don't surf, you know, there's there's not much to do. So <laughs> you either have to surf, golf, uh, or jog or run. So I took it up when I was 15 years old, and I recently hurt my back, so it's not as much as it used to be. But I, I, I used to love going to... Uh, all up and down the coast to Sebastian Inlet, all the way to uh, St. Augustine Beach. Mm-hmm. And the the surf is, you know, is horrible compared to the West Coast. But I've been to the California and Hawaii, too. And uh, most of the surfers are really good from the East Coast because they have a lot of chop they have to go through. And we just learned how to do it. And I, I actually didn't get my degree in high school when I went up for graduation. I go up there and they hand me an empty diploma. And they said, you know, you, you got to take chemistry over again. And the reason for that is that that year of my senior year, the surf was as good as it ever was. And every every three or four days, somebody would stick their head into uh, first class and say, come on, let's go. So we, I think I skipped 17 times. And that was enough. So I had to take, uh, I had to get my degree after I graduated. And, and you're that rare Floridian who both surfs and plays golf. Well, as you get older, you got to get the sports that aren't quite as uh, traumatic to your back. So is this like a surfing in the morning and golfing in the afternoon kind of thing? or? Well, it's great because I, I golf at Spessard Holland Golf Course, which is between the beach and the Banana River. Mm-hmm. So right after you're done golfing, you just take your board out of the back of the car, go across the street, <laughs> go on the ocean. Now, do any of your golfing buddies go with you? Yes, uh, Joel Cohen. He he's a paddleboarder, which you know I think he's a sissy because so. <laughs> <laughs> it's real easy to get out on a paddleboard. Come on, let's let's see you try to get out on a surfboard. And we go out once in a while, uh, or he goes out at Paradise Beach, which is close by. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he, yes, he's a surfer, and and I have a couple of friends from high school that go out there also. Before we began recording, we were talking about uh, writers' conferences, and uh, I'd ask you whether or not you were going to go to Sleuthfest, and you said you are, but you hadn't been there because you normally go to some other ones. You were at, you said you were at Killer Nashville earlier this year? Yeah, I went to Killer Nashville this year, which was an excellent conference. It was up at the Omni in Nashville, and uh, that's a three or four day, three day, four day actually, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to see Lady Annabellum while I was there. That was interesting. <laughs> And that's a, that's a great one. They have a lot of law enforcement people there that, that go over the details. You know, they tell you there's no safety on a Glock, but there's actually five safeties on a Glock, things like that. <laughs> and then uh, I do want to go to Sleuth Fest this year. But normally for the past five or six years, I've been going to Dennis Lehane's writer in, Writers in Paradise, which is at Eckerd College over in St. Petersburg. And that's an eight-day conference where you have about 10 or 11 students for one uh, for one teacher and the teachers are well-known writers and so you get to read your 21 pages to a well-known writer with 10 other students so you got Laura Lippman Stephen King was a instructor there uh, Dennis Lehane uh, Stuart Onan uh, just 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 all of them and so so it, it really you really learn a lot from them but you have to be invited to that one 
And so this year, I'm going to go to Sleuth Fest for the first time, and I hope I see you there. And, and that particular conference, the one you're talking about, I've always been intrigued by it. Laura Lippman told me about it uh, a couple of years ago at Sleuth Fest, and I, I'd never heard of it prior to that. But it sounds like a, a really hardcore, intensive uh, writing kind of thing versus uh, sort of you know a Sleuth Fest type conference or Killer Nashville that's 60% fun and uh, 40% learning maybe. Oh, it's tough. I've had Laura twice, and she'll sit there, and she'll be completely honest with you. Well, she can be completely honest with you, and I've seen men and women in our class cry, hmm. you know, after, after a review of their work. And, you know, you just have to be tough and take it and listen to what they say, and, and they know what they're talking about. And Laura she comes every year up there, and she always takes a class. And the good good thing is, at nighttime, you get to go to the uh, cocktail parties, and then they have a, a each one of the well-known authors give uh, uh, speaks or reads their piece, mm-hmm. reads what they're writing at the time, which is usually about 40, 50 pages, so in an auditorium. Well, J.J., I look forward to meeting you face-to-face at SleuthFest this spring. I guess it's this spring. Uh, where where can listeners find Deviant Acts? Well, there's several places. You can get it anywhere digital, mm-hmm. but uh, if you want a hardback copy, you can go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble online, or you can go to the publisher Black Opal Books, which is located in Oregon. Uh, just look up blackopalbooks.com. Mm-hmm. And my website, if you want to read some silly golf stories, and if you go to the awards and Look up some of the, uh, uh, go to my blog and go to the past blogs. You might get a chuckle out of that, but you can also purchase my book directly. It'll take you to Amazon, and that's www.jjwhitebooks.com. And I, I will link to that as well as to Black Opal Books in the show notes. So if you're out there driving around, just uh, check the check the website, and you'll find those in the show notes. Is your website the best place for people to find you online, J.J.? I think so. There uh, you can go. I also have a J.J. White author page on Facebook, and I'm on Twitter and whatever else, you know, all the social networks. Okay. I will link to those as well. J.J., this has been fun. I really enjoyed the book, and it was a pleasure to chat with you. Well, thank you, Stephen, and I certainly appreciate it. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you do pop by the website, please sign up for the email list. I send out an email each Friday with a summary of the week's interviews. It's the best way to keep up with what we're doing and to be sure you don't miss out on great new books like Deviant Acts from J.J. White. Thanks for listening.